Nuclear. Now, is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Every episode, Kathy and Ross send me a word. I try to pronounce that word. I may be wrong. I may be right. And then we just see where that goes. Joining us now, of course, Ross and Kathy Petrus. Ross, hey there. I talked to you last week, and you said you were spending the day at the University of Toronto Library. Did you learn anything interesting? Well, actually, Fletcher, I spend every one day a week, every week at the University Library, and I... What I learned interesting is who buys books. We sell books for the uh, library, uh, you know, used books for the library. And I heard someone mispronounce. Uh, it was sad, really. It was a young person who wanted to buy a book, and she wanted a, a book by a guy called Yeats. Oh, no. So I said, I, it was one of those things where you want to be polite and kind of correct it just in case, you know. So I said, oh, you know, it's really funny that name, how it's pronounced. And, you know, I said it was Yeats then, and she felt a lot. Uh, she was chagrined. I said, don't be chagrined. I, I, you know, I mispronounce things all the time. But of course. And now she can go tell other people how smart she is by knowing that it's Yeats. And, and exactly. You know, that, it, that's great, yeah. Uh, Kathy, what's new out there in the Pacific Northwest? Well, I've learned nothing recently, so <laughs> I'm just bumbling along in the gray. That sounds good. Um, so this week you've brought us a word. Uh, it's it's a kind of food, I think usually eaten as an appetizer or maybe just as a snack. Uh, you've got some crusty bread, uh, probably grilled uh, put some olive oil on there and maybe some garlic. And often, at, at least here, you you eat it uh, with chopped up tomatoes, diced tomatoes on the top. Uh, and, of course, this word is spelled B-R-U-S-C-H-E-T-T-A. Now, the thing about this, I'm going to be as honest as I possibly can. If you would have asked me about a week ago how to pronounce this word, I would have had a lot of trouble, and I probably would have said bruschetta. The funny thing is, over the past week, I had a conversation with my father about exactly this food and how much he <laughs> loves it, and he pronounced it bruschetta. My father's not the kind of person to get something like this wrong, so I'm going to defer to him, and uh, despite what I may have said a week ago, I'm going to say it's pronounced bruschetta. And Fletcher, you are exactly correct. Thanks, Dad. And thank you to Dad. And Kathy and I both were wrong. For years, we've been saying bruschetta. Well, that's what it looks like. Most Americans say bruschetta, from what we understand. Yeah, I would say that more often than not, Americans do say bruschetta, and I certainly was one of them. And there's still, I've got to admit, there's still something for me that, I mean, and I do ask for bruschetta now, but I've, I have been corrected by waiters. Um wrongly obviously when they go ah you want the bruschetta and they sort of smile on the paternal sort of way like oh, you poor benighted soul but yes it's bruschetta oh that's fascinating that you've been corrected by waiters incorrectly yeah it's really common in fact um there was a whole yelp thing i had seen you know uh, about being miscorrected being corrected incorrectly if you will by um servers and, and bruschetta is one of the top ones, oddly enough, which makes sense because you look at it, it, it looks like brush and etta, you know. But um, the problem is it's the old Italian sea issue. But it is. But just one thing before we go into that, though, like Kathy was saying, though, in other cases, we pronounce things correctly when it's when it's CH, like radicchio. We don't say radicchio. Or Pinocchio. Or Pinocchio. Or Chianti. 
or well, Chianti. But that the problem, the whole problem that we get into with the ch in Italian, is that Italian is counterintuitive to us. The c in Italian usually is a cuss sound, if it's followed by an a, o, or u. Otherwise, it's a um, it's a ch sound. The ch sound ch is a hard cuss sound, so it gets really yeah, confusing. Yeah, or ce is ch. Ch is cuss. <laughs> yeah, so it gets really confused. Like Italian, like Chianti. You would think would be Chianti, but it's not. It's C-H-I-A-N-T-I, but it's Chianti, and it's C-H. So it gets very confusing. So how are we to know uh, when we look at a word, and, and assuming that we even know that it's Italian, and, and maybe plenty of people don't necessarily know that bruschetta is is an Italian word, um, how are we to know whether we're pronouncing something ch or k or if it's not even Italian at all and we should have an, a, a sh sound? Well, I mean, we can go through like the, the rules. The rules are can be, I mean, they're sort of hard to do. Before the, the C, before an E or an I is soft, so it's ch. Otherwise, it's hard, k. The same with G. A double C is K, too. That's right. And the same with G and SC. a lot of times people see the double C. I know I always have. And you assume for some reason the double C is soft, like sh, and it's not. It's also K. Yeah, but it can get kind of confusing. Then there's if an H, if an H goes next to a G, a C, or an SC, it makes it hard sound again. So... And then if an I, well, then we get another problem with the I. If, when an I is put in, the I is silent if it's unstressed. and But it also can change a double C. An I will change a double C from the K to a CH. Like Gucci isn't gooky. I was thinking exactly that. The word I was thinking of was cacciatore, I guess, to go ahead and uh, continue on our food theme here. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really, I think, the best thing to do is just listen to Italians or... or or believe the waiter or waitress, even if uh, they're incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> but but what Kathy just said with incorrect is a real problem, too. Uh, there's a pizza company called, uh, I don't know what to say. They call themselves Freshetta, F-R-E-S-C-H-E-T-T-A, Freshetta Brick Oven Real Italian Pizza. However, what we just were talking about with Bruschetta, the S-C-H should be pronounced Freschetta. So all these Italians who come to America go, what, what's going on here? It's Freschetta. The company claims to be real, you know, old-fashioned Italian cooking, and they're mispronouncing their own name. Or are they pronouncing it correctly because they're American, which we go into another problem with. Well, yeah, and we've talked about that sort of thing before, uh, you know, Americans pronouncing words differently. And so um, at what point does it become okay or not okay to go ahead and use the Americanized pronunciation? I, I lean personally a, 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 to the Americanized merely because I think we are Americans. We're not Italians. I mean, I, I like I get a little frustrated. I don't know if you know uh, Giada on the Food Network and she's Italian and boy, does she pronounce her Italian and you just get a little bit like, you know, crazed by it after. So I, I, I do, I should say. It's a peeve of mine. So I don't think there's really any problem with saying bruschetta. That said, I mean, you can if you know it's bruschetta, why not say bruschetta? You know what I mean? I think I think that I I, I know I'm being very vague, but I I think it doesn't matter. You know? Well, it's it's sort of funny for me. I, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. Here we go again with the problem, but I think that languages get rules for pronouncing foreign words. 
And some they pronounce like the foreigners, like or the original speakers do, and some they don't. I never, I don't go to Milano. I go to Milan. I don't go to Roma. I go to Rome. Right. And we agree. Well, you do go to Firenze, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Firenze. <laughs> but we agree, and I think. But in some cases, like with food, most of the time, we try to we try to tend to pronounce it as do the Italians or as do the, the people who originated the food. I think that now that I know that bruschetta is pronounced bruschetta, and I should have known it knowing languages, but I never thought of it, I will say bruschetta. I'm not going to – I went to a restaurant with two friends recently. They both ordered bruschetta. I didn't, like, jump in and yell, it's bruschetta. <laughs> I let it go, and my heart didn't leap or cry when I heard it spell, you know, pronounced wrongly. But I do think that there's a sort of – in English, there's sort of, it's like an, un, un, you know, it's not uncodified. I mean, it's uncodified, but we try to pronounce words that we sort of agree that certain words are pronounced as do the Italians or Greeks or whatever, and cert, certain aren't. And one thing, I just want to throw one thing out. How do you guys say, this is what really bothered me. How do you say the wine, P-I-N-O-T-G-R-I-G-I-O? I'm going to probably do it wrong. I say Pinot Grigio. Yeah, so it's, do I. It's wrong. It's, it's Pinot Grigio or something? It's Pinot Grigio. Because we just said the rule, the I is silent. If it's not uh, stressed before another vowel and after the G. I'm already confused. So tell me how no, it's but, that, but that's the whole problem. So we go into these like, I, we both have now the rules in our heads, but most people don't. And I don't think you should be expected to know like, well, in... In Mongolian, wine should be, you know, pronounced this way. It should be pronounced that way. But Pinot Grigio is pr correctly pronounced Pinot Grigio, not Pinot Grigio. And I did not know that. It makes sense. Actually, I have sometimes said just Joe, but I don't think I did it on purpose. I think I did it because I have a lazy tongue sometimes. But we, it's funny, though, but even there, though, we do instinctively, we kind of know the rule because, like, the uh, old mayor of New York, Rudolph Giuliani, his he has an I U, but we don't go Giuliani. Giuliani, no. yeah. yeah. We have the yeah. we have the I not pronounced, which is. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here because this is something that bothers me. I'm thinking of the the Roman. Um, I always said Cicero, C I C E R O. Then I learned, oh no, it's Cicero if you're in the know. But now, if we go with those C rules, shouldn't it be Cicero? And, and Kathy, you are correct. <laughs> this, is like why I, if, this is why I panic sometimes with pronunciation. I think I should just shut up and sit in the corner, you know? But let, we, were, we were just talking about how languages change, and the old Roman way is saying Cicero. But Latin changed into Italian, but first it changed into sort of like a kind of common Latin spoken, then it changed into Italian. And they took that initial, they started using the rule we're talking about, and that initial C followed by an I becomes Cicero. So, so, but, but it, but back in the Roman days, you would have. It seen, would have been Cicero. Cicero. You would have been like thrown to the lions. Or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's an interesting thing. I mean, languages all change; they're always changing, and pronunciations are always changing. On the on back to the Italian, one, it also gets me because different dialects have different. Um, di I mean, it, you know, currently they have different pronunciations of the same thing too. Well, throwing in that, what always fascinated me as people from New Jersey originally is New Jersey Italian accents, which have like apparently sound more like old old Italian, but like nothing like current Italian, like gabagool or. Calzone, remember you'd be like, or provolone. You're supposed to pronounce the E or the E, provolone, calzone. But but they always do that calzone or mozzarella, you know what I mean? Which is totally uh, New Jersey. Did, well, that's actually Southern Italian. 
it's what it really it's like Calabrian. It's a lot of people in Hoboken are from Calabria and Calabrians apparently pronounce like pasta fagioli. They say pasta fazool. They don't as much anymore in, in current Calabria. They're they're doing the older accent. Oh, yeah. That's always the case, too. Yeah, yeah you're right. I always that always gets me. Can I throw something in here? Because I do think people overdo, though, like Kathy was mentioning with the Italian uh, uh, cook. Giada, what's her name? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned her just for what it's worth. That's the exact reason my father and I had the conversation about Bruschetta was because I gave him a cookbook from Giada and he uh, he loves her. And so, well, she's fab. I mean, I love her stuff, but she, I don't know if you, if you've ever seen her on the food arm because she corrects everybody. I mean, she's always like, oh, it's blah, blah, blah. You know, but again, though, you can, you can get a little, I mean, you can get a little bit much. I mean, pizza, for example, the plural of pizza. And I would say, I want to get two pizzas, but in Italian, it'd be pizza with an E at the end. I'm not going to say it. And then someone was talking about cappuccino. And it, it, it shouldn't be, or panini. It shouldn't be, panini is the plural. And you really, if well, you want to get, people do say paninos though. I, the one that gets me is cannoli. It should be cannolo. But you shouldn't say paninos. You should say panini. No, you should say panini. Panini. Panino or panini. <laughs> I know. Two panini. Too vowels. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanted to throw in, and it fascinated me. You actually said what a bruschetta is correctly. A lot of people think bruschetta is chopped up tomato garlic and um olive oil on the bread not the bread aspect of it which i was very impressed with you oh (laughs) thank you i mean you're a foodie aren't you there's one thing i know how to do is eat i'll I'll tell you that (laughs) (laughs) no because it's a pet peeve of mine because like i've seen it like at the like you know specialty shops they have a jar of bruschetta bruschetta excuse me and and, and it can't be you know it's it's a jar of chopped up uh tomatoes garlic and uh with olive oil and stuff but it's it's, it's and people think that is bruschetta as opposed to the bread with olive oil and garlic with something on it. Okay, put a pin in what Kathy just said because I want to come back to it toward the end of the show. But first, this is our sixth episode, and we've had a lot of great response so far, and we've had some people writing in with their own questions about pronunciation or their own pet peeves. And so I want to just read one of our listener questions. Uh, this person preferred to remain anonymous, but feel free to give us your name if you've got a question for us. It's entirely up to you. But I just want to read this question real quick, and we'll talk about this word, because it's something that I've dealt with through most of my life as well. So here we go. I've heard ornery... O-R-N-E-R-Y, pronounced different ways. When friends in New York or Chicago hear me say it, they, they often think I'm talking about a French guy named Henri. And of course, that doesn't make any sense in these conversations. So is the pronunciation for Henri regional, or am I just wrong? So, so Kathy and Ross, are, are, are you familiar with this pronunciation Henri? Uh, because as far as I can remember, it's what I grew up with, and I don't think I knew anything about Henri until I was an, an adult, including the proper spelling of the word. I always thought it was spelled something like H-O-N-R-Y with a silent H for some reason. This is really interesting because I always, Ross and I grew up on the East Coast in New Jersey, and, and I knew or, Ornery. I, I, I had not heard anything. There was a, Way, a Waylon Jennings song, it was Lonesome, Ornery, and Mean, and I just thought, oh, it's like a Southern, like that Texas twang. But yeah, it is slightly regional. Um, the, the, the different pronunciation. The correct pronunciation is ornery. Ornery, yeah. Okay, can I interrupt for one second, though? It's interesting, though, because I tried to look at a map of the pronunciation of ornery across the states, and it seems very spotty. I had people in Kansas say ornery, but then we had people in Mississippi 
say ornery, and we had people in New Jersey say ornery, but then we had people in Chicago say another weird sounding um, ornery. So it seems to me that it doesn't seem like it has like a, a most times, most of the time with different pronunciations, there's like a gradual drift and you get different, you can see sort of a, a sensible map here. But, you know, Mississippi saying ornery, Kansas saying ornery, uh, it does seem mixed. Well, the weirdest thing to me was um, Google uh, did, a, did a survey of what words Americans have the most trouble spelling. And this does connect then to, um, to pronunciation. And this is based on like how, who Googled from what state, something. Utah had the most Googled word they asked about how to spell was something that they spelled A-W-N-R-Y, ornery. And they meant ornery. And, and Utah, this was, this was the number one misspelling issue for them, which I would never have suspected. The one thing I do have to say, though, is the dictionaries are pretty clear. And I saw a lot of, there's a lot of questions, people asking, like, what does ornery mean? I mean, ornery came from ordinary. It's like, a, it's a blurring of ordinary. But, but ornery, then some people said that they thought ornery meant something different. Like, ornery was like that, and ornery was just rambunctious. So, it, so it's, it's even evolved to some degree a different um, meaning in certain places. But the one thing is clear, as I was saying earlier, the dictionary pronunciation is ornery. The, di- the di- distinction in terms, the standard dictionary pronunciation is ornery or ornery. And ornery tends not to be acceptable, even though I think it should be, because it's clearly a pronunciation that's that's as such used by a lot of America. The other interesting thing I think with ornery though is what do you guys use it as? Do you do you have it as a, a pejorative thing, as mean or cantankerous? That's what I was just saying. Or kind of a a friendly sort of thing. To to me, it's slightly more mischievous. See, that's that's what I was saying because ornery usually means like difficult or or uh, cantankerous or stubborn. But but yeah, like a lot of for some reason, that's what I was saying. It's like evolved. Henri seems to have a, a lighter, happier, possibly. Well, no, it's like rambunctious. But if if the original word meant ordinary, both of them have diverged from the original uh, meaning. It certainly doesn't mean ordinary now. No, no, not at all. Although there are, I mean, instances in the 1860s, obviously, where it did mean ordinary, but it does not right now. Although there, someone was trying to kind of more you know merge it into an ordinary meaning at a current song but i didn't i didn't read it that way i view it though i personally view it as as not a good thing i view ornery as being kind of kind of like a not a good person whereas a lot of you know like the south in the south it does tend to mean like you said mischievous or in the west too but i view it not in a good sense usually not prankish I view it as cantankerous and stubborn and not a good person. Kathy, I like the word you, you used, which was rascal. Um, I kind of want to revise what I said because I think it is, for me, sort of a mix between cantankerous and mischievous. So you could see uh, an older, cranky person causing a little bit of trouble, but not too much trouble, and you might call that person ornery. Okay, that's a good definition. We'll accept that, Fletcher. You can continue using it in such a way. Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any idea why that shift might have happened, uh, the difference between ornery and ornery? And I especially wonder, uh, because Kansans, as you said, seem to say ornery, and we here in Kansas like to pretend that we don't really have any sort of accent. Uh, there's two questions actually in there. First of all, I think are you saying asking why the word ordinary became to mean uh, mean or cantankerous? Probably from emerging. Ordinary is kind of a poor quality, kind of 
ordinary type person in that sense kind of coarse or ugly and then from that sense it can kind of easily meld into something not that great cantankerous and then from then on I, i'm wondering though how did Henri um not mean cantankerous but how did that become meaning just sort of mischievous whereas the ornery pronunciation is is the is the traditional definition do you know what i mean like why would we have split why would ornery suddenly become nicer but i have a bunch of people say ornery does mean a good thing too in the south i found a number of cases where in the south it's pronounced ornery and they think it's a good thing so i'm not sure the lang the dis pronunciation distinction is actually valid for the uh definitional distinction, if you see what I'm saying. In other words, ornery in New Jersey can mean cantankerous or ill-tempered, but ornery pronounced elsewhere can also mean... Um, Rambunctious or mischievous or... Because I, I have like a definitional map here where people in Mississippi, for example, pronounce it ornery, but they, but they view it as mischievous. And that was what really interested mm -hmm. me about the thing is that it seemed to be very spotty in terms of how you pronounce it as well as spotty, whereas the definitions seem pretty much the South. They think of South and West, they think of it as um, kind of mischievous, and the North, they think of it as kind of a mean-spirited person. Right, so we have a divergence both in in definition and in pronunciation, but they aren't necessarily related to each other. Precisely, although we can't, I mean, there's no detailed, deep study of this thing, so I can't be sure. But that's what it seemed like for well, me I looking it up. Language Log was saying that most of the people who had ornery, however we want to pronounce it, to mean like a, a, a good-spirited trickster, mischievous, primarily from the Midwest, they were saying. That, that most, most of the Midwest has ornery as a positive, or not as a negative, we should say. Whereas the rest of the country tends to be more um, disagreeable, stubborn, all that, cantankerous, and so forth. I think we can go on and on. I had a North Carolinian say we pronounce it ornery, and it means cantankerous, but lesser, I think as Fletcher was saying, with less a degree of severity than like a horrible person. But not in a mischievous sense, still sort of like a low-level well, cantankerous. They're saying the Midwest is mainly where the mischievous uh, connotation is. Okay, that that's very possible. And and it sounds like possibly maybe the Midwest is also where a lot of the Henri comes from. Yeah, that that's what when I was looking at just like people querying about that and spelling it that way, that's where I found most of the, that came from the Midwest. And as we said before, Utah, which for some reason is the biggest uh, Henri. <laughs> it's a very odd. It's funny though. It's a word I don't usually think of. I'm realizing, and it never even occurred to me that there would be different meanings of it. I guess it's just a lot more popular around here. <laughs> yeah. What are you guys doing? <laughs> we like to have fun <laughs> at the expense of others. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. You can check out special artwork for this episode and every episode designed by Jordan Kirtley at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. 
The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's new book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more, and they're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, knrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. And one more thing. Remember I said we'd circle back to what Kathy was saying about what bruschetta is and isn't? Well, we've already talked a lot about food-type things on this show. Champagne, sherbet, beer, now bruschetta. So clearly, we like food. And it seemed like it'd be a bit of a shame if we didn't take the opportunity today to indulge that a little bit. So I've asked local gourmand and food genius Leela Connor to come into the studio here to give us some fun ideas for what we can do to make a brilliant bruschetta. Leela spent years experimenting and perfecting recipes for things you can put on toast. Yes, toast. And she's got a couple of amazing-sounding ideas for unexpected take some bruschetta. Now, we've got those full recipes at kmuw.org, so you can find them in detail there. But I wanted to bring Leela in just to give us a little taste of what she's come up with. Hey there, Leela. Thanks for stopping by. Hey, Fletcher. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you because, as you heard just a little bit ago as I was talking to Ross and Kathy, bruschetta, Americans tend to think of it as the, the diced tomatoes that we put on top of this bread. But uh, it turns out the bruschetta is is that bread itself uh in, in the more basic sense, it's the the crusty bread with the the olive oil and the garlic, and then there are various regional differences in what you can put on top of it. There are uh, things you can come up with uh, entirely out of your own imagination, and so um, I had you come in because I know how uh, what a genius you are at this toasted bread kind of thing, and I just kind of wanted to pick your brain and see what sorts of ideas you had for a nice little spin on bruschetta. Yeah, really, I mean. The, the sky's the limit with that kind of thing. And um, you can take any sort of topping and, I mean, chop it or don't chop it like you do in, like with traditional bruschetta, uh, tomato topping. But um, there's so many things that you can add to just make it delicious and flavorful. I always think the most important thing is obviously the bread and then toasting it or grilling it just so it's perfect with the olive oil and then rubbing it with garlic. Um, and then having uh, some sort of sea salt is always a great finish for that. And a really good olive oil is very important. Um, and then really you can take almost anything that you have in your house or in your fridge and turn it into a delicious bruschetta. Uh, it could be um, to the traditional tomato topping or as you'll find in these recipes, uh, the, do, doing something more seasonal with butternut squash or um, pears, both in season right now, and both things that you could add to your Thanksgiving table as an appetizer or something like that. The great thing about bruschetta, too, is it doesn't have to be just an appetizer. We as Americans are so um, used to ordering it as an appetizer at Italian restaurants, but you know you can have it for lunch. Just grill yourself up a big slice of toast. Uh, dinner, you know, just enjoy it that way too. It's delicious and filling. I love the idea that you just mentioned about having this with your with your Thanksgiving because because uh, these recipes that you brought uh, they are they are using seasonal ingredients and and man they look just delicious and I think that's a wonderful idea to have it just with your family over the holidays. Yeah, absolutely, and they're so easy to make. You can really make all of this beforehand, and they can be served room temperature or you can warm it up. But both of these recipes can easily be served room temperature. Um, and the you know the bread is probably the last thing you want to do. Grill it up so that it's fresh, um, but then just put the toppings right onto it. So, l- like I mentioned, there are a lot of regional differences in bruschetta. Uh, there are a lot of different ways people do this. These particular recipes, uh, did these just come out of your brain? 
Yeah, these just came out of my brain. I was at the grocery store the other day thinking about what's in season in Kansas. And I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in California, and she said, well, everything's in season here. You can make <laughs> bruschetta with anything. And I was like, well, we live in Kansas. Yeah, thanks, so, California. Um, yeah, so obviously fall flavors are really where it's at right now. And um, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and, of course, food is on the brain. Yeah. So thinking about these flavors like sage and um, butternut squash and then adding some sort of element that maybe is a twist to it. The sumac is just – sumac is a brilliant spice. Um, it's tart and salty sort of at the same time, and it's delicious. And throw it on the, to this butternut squash, and it just makes it pop. So yeah, so you've, you started talking about this first one a little bit already. So let's just uh, dive into it just a little bit. And again, these are all going to be uh, available online, so you don't need to pull out your pen and paper and write down every single thing that Leela says right now. Um, but but this butternut squash and sage bruschetta has a lot of flavors in it that, that I wouldn't have expected and also that I'm not completely familiar with. I don't really know much about sumac. It's typically used in Middle Eastern fare, um, and it's really delicious. It's a bit tart, and it's a bit um, tangy. Um, and mixing it with the cinnamon and then uh, the lemon juice and then a little bit of salt. It really And then the fresh herbs really make it pop. So give me just a quick overview of this first recipe that you've got here. So the first recipe takes butternut squash um, and sausage, or you can use bacon, um, which is in the one that I gave to you today, Fletcher. Um, and you saute it up with the spices. Um, always A little butter always helps the butternut squash, I think. Um, and fresh sage leaves, and it's just delicious. Actually, with this recipe, um, these butternut squash cubes will taste better the day after, so it is a great thing to make ahead. Um, the candied nuts are really easy. I happen to have almonds in my house, so I just whipped up some candied nuts. just takes a very few minutes. It sounds fancier than it is. It just takes about two minutes. Um, and then I, I used a chevre or any kind of goat cheese. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, really, I, there's a lemon one. There's you know all sorts of different tanginess flavors but it just it also helps the um squash stay on the bread when you have some sort of adhesive oh sure that makes a lot of sense uh so that butternut squash and sage one i, I like i like that you have the candied nuts there too because of course i'm a big fan of the sweet and savory going on at the same time which is sort of uh what you've got going on in this other one as well again something i'm not too familiar with tarragon, but you have pear and tarragon bruschetta. Tarragon is an interesting um, herb as well, and it has a very unique flavor. If you know the green goddess dressing, that's tarragon-based. Um, and it goes really, really well with like lobster or seafood or with um, apples, pears, that kind of oh, yeah. fruit. So mixing the tarragon in with the pears, um, a little olive oil. You can even add a dash of vinegar if you want to, um, just to keep it almost to give it that sweet, savory, salty flavor. Um, the the flavors just sort of really pop in your in your mouth. Um, and then the pièce de résistance, the the spicy honey. Mm. So mm -hmm. I use sriracha. You can really use any sort of hot sauce that you might have, but a little bit of honey, add a few hot dro uh, drops of hot sauce into it. Um, so whatever kind of hot sauce you want or um, to your liking as far as how hot you want it as well. Uh, if you're serving a whole bunch of family members, you might want to keep it on the mild side. But, you know, if you're just making it for yourself and you like the hot, you know, go for it because it really does add, add to the flavor profile. So I used brie for this one, too, because brie has that really creamy sort of texture. And with the crunchiness of the pears, since they're not cooked, uh, it just gives it, and, and the crunchiness of the toast, it just gives it a really nice flavor. And I want to mention that that honey and sriracha uh, again. That's I, I personally really love exactly that, to mix honey and sriracha together. You know what I really like it on? Brussels sprouts. Mm, Ros yeah, roast them up and ooh, drizzle. Yeah, that yeah, sounds delicious. Yeah. 
I think the key to the best bruschetta topping is to have the sweet, the savory, the salty, and the acid, and then the good olive oil and the garlic. The great thing about bruschetta, too, is that you, if you're vegan, gluten-free, or vegetarian, any of these are you know, still easy to make. Um, I've included on the recipes a few examples of some of the preferred um, uh, products that I like to use, but it's easy, easy with the olive oil to make it vegan um, and just take out any meat product or cheese product and replace it. And there's lots of great gluten-free breads on the market, which actually tastes better toasted, I think. So um, that's a great alternative. So we've got uh, butternut squash and sage bruschetta. It's got some uh, candied nuts on there with some goat cheese uh, and also pear and tarragon bruschetta, again, with that uh, spicy honey, that sriracha and honey together, uh, along with brie. Um, Leela, I'm hungry. I hope you'll make these for Thanksgiving and let me know how they yeah, go. No doubt I will. And also, uh, Leela, you've got your uh, own Instagram, Toast Chick. Toast Chick. You can find Leela at Toast Chick on Instagram. You can see all sorts of uh, things that are coming out of her brain when it comes to toast and, and whatever other food ideas she's got going on. Leela, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy toasting.